Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 15. Mark 15, we continue on in our series in search of the real Jesus and focus upon a number of the passages that are so appropriate to uh, this time of year. Uh, The church has historically called this Lent uh, and a, a time that's leading up to the Passion of Christ to Holy Week, uh, to the time when we uh, specifically talk about his death on the cross and his resurrection on, on Easter. And we are, are leading to that in Mark 15. Now, if you were to list the most powerful people in the world, who would they be? If you are like most lists, and I did look up several this week, whether it's Forbes or Newsweek or other surveys, almost all of them have in the top ten two kinds of people, billionaires and heads of state. Those are the kind of people that the world in which we live see as those who have real power. Now, I don't think that's anything new. I think if you had taken that survey virtually any time during history, you would have uh, gotten similar answers, although now is the day when surveys are taken all the time. But I think uh, although at some point it wouldn't have been billionaires, it might have been millionaires, it would have always... uh, had those who had a great deal of money and those who were the head of state. Now, I'm about to read you a passage, and as you remember, in the Gospel of Mark, he is very sparing of details. But we see three entities mentioned here, at least, and those were uh, all ones in addition to Jesus. And I want you to ask yourself, which of these, in, of these four, really, had the most power from the eyes of the world and then from the eyes of God? Is it the same group that would have the real power? We're in Mark 15. It says, very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply. Pilate was amazed. Now, it was a custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd 
came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, even in the songs that we have sung and we have heard this morning, we hear again, we're reminded of your suffering, of what you went through. And we read this account even before the crucifixion. And yet, the humiliation you went through for us. Lord, will you teach us from this passage, which is history, but it is much more than that. It is truth. Absolute truth. For us and for people of all time. Will you open our hearts to you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want us to look at these various entities, as I have called them, or groups or individuals, and see where the power fits in with them. And, you know, one group that is obvious and Uh, We already spent some time on them, and that is uh, the religious people of the day. Back in chapter 14, uh, the the last passage we dealt with before our missions conference was uh, about uh, Peter and him disowning Jesus. But we saw prior to that how the religious people dealt with Jesus and and uh, the, the part about Peter is just kind of inserted there because it was going on at the, the same time. But now we come back to what the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law were doing. And it occurs to us that there was on their part concerning the power of Jesus, there was a real fear. They feared Jesus real power. Now, look at uh, verse 1, and then we'll skip down to some other verses. It says, very early in the morning, chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. And then we 
read in verse 9. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate. And now we see that he has an insight into them that they probably never would have admitted. Verse 10, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. And then we see the reaction of the chief priests. Verse 11, but the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. Fascinating to see here the religious people. Now, wouldn't you think, wouldn't we presume that religious people are people that are really seeking God? And if they are really seeking God, they have Jesus, the God-man, right with them. And they simply cannot see it. In fact, I'm convinced that there was a fear there. At every point, there was jealousy, there was envy, and I think a fear. Now, what was the problem? Well, I'm convinced that the, the problem is the one that we'll deal with throughout the sermon, and that's power. In their case, it was the fear of the loss of power. Now, how so? How did the religious people have power in their day? Well, it was by controlling other people. How did they control other people? Because the religious people of the day were the rule makers. And when you are the rule maker, those that you are making the rules for, you have power over them. And that was the case with the Sanhedrin, the elders, the chief priests. They made rules, they made laws that were binding upon the people. They were so heavy upon them, it was crushing them. The people were afraid that they would break not just the the law of God, but all of the other laws that the chief priests would say, These are the law of God as well. And they see Jesus coming in and changing that. He spoke about it differently. He talked about a freedom. He talked about not being under that yoke and that burden. And they not only envied him, I'm convinced they feared him. Now, here's the principle. The insertion of Jesus into that which is established without him is scary. It may bring some outward upset, and it is usually resisted. Okay? In this case, that which was established was their religion. In fact, it was so established that the thought of one coming in with a radically different emphasis brought fear into them, and that's what they resisted. Now, what about in your life? What is there in your life 
where you are concerned about inserting Jesus there. Because if you do, it may require a real change. Is there a fear of inserting Jesus into some portion of your life? Does it threaten you? And if so, if you're willing to be honest about that, is not inserting him worth risking your eternity? That's a question to be coped with. Now, there is a second entity here, and that is Pilate. And I I would put in his category the other worldly leaders. And uh, they weren't afraid of his power, I don't believe, because they couldn't see his power. Now, it dawned on me as a a few minutes ago, we were uh, reciting the Apostles' Creed. Pilate is the only non-Christian mentioned in the Apostles' Creed. Why why, Why do we say the name of a secular ruler in the creed of Christians, what do you believe? And we actually mention Pilate. That shows that there is something that the church who came up with the Apostles' Creed There is something about this account that they thought was so important that every time we would stand and say, this we believe, that we would refer back to this passage. What is it? Well, look at the interaction with Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. The New International Version says, yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. That's uh, verse 2. The chief priests accused him of many things, so again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply. Pilate was amazed. Now, there are accusations of the Sanhedrin, and we're going to go to a parallel passage to see. I mean, they're implied here. Uh, Mark didn't include them. But over in Luke chapter 23, verse 2, parallel passage, it says this about the Sanhedrin. They began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation, He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ, a king. So they accuse him subverting the nation, opposing the payment of taxes to Caesar. How appropriate this time of year, huh? You're dealing with that right now. But you know what? They knew that was a lie. Because they had tried to pin him down earlier in his ministry, hadn't they? He said, well, you know, what are you, who are you going to pay your taxes? Are you supposed to pay taxes? He answered it. Brilliant answer. Pay Caesar what is coming 
to him. So they knew they were lying about him, even though these were the religious leaders of the day. And then they accused him of assuming the title king. Now that's innuendo, uh, intended to imply that he was practicing rebellion toward Rome. They knew that wasn't true either. That any aspect that he talked about his kingship was not addressed at Rome, but he had a different kingdom. Now look at the question from Pilate, because we need to deal with something from this particular passage. Are you the king of the Jews? Now all four Gospels include that question. Whenever that's the case, you know that that's an important question if they all include it. They don't all include everything that's important. Anything that's included in any of the Gospels is important. But when you see something repeated four times, you know that it's very central, very crucial. And what was he really asking? Pilate wasn't all that worried about the Jews, but he was basically asking, do you have a political agenda? And if you do, what is your political agenda? Now, his answer is ambiguous. Now, this is one of those things that Jesus says that, that could be frustrating. In the NIV, New International Version, which is the version that I read from, The answer is, yes, it is as you say. That's actually too positive, and I don't think it even makes sense here in Mark because they're, you know, the the next question is, uh, you know, why, why aren't you answering and so on. Yes, it is as you say. In the Greek, especially in Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he simply says this. You say. Okay, so the question is, are you the king of the Jews? You say. He doesn't say yes. He doesn't say no. Now, why would that be the case, and why is that significant? Well, those who have looked at this... uh, Some commentators say it is a very positive thing, but I don't buy that. I don't think it fits with the rest of the passage. Others uh, say that it's not a yes and it's not a no. It is perfectly in the center. You say, I'm the king of the Jews, which is implied. Now, why would he say something that's not a yes And not a no. Well, think about his options here. If he said yes, then in Pilate's eyes, he could have been guilty as being a traitor. Pilate could have said, okay, well, we got a reason to crucify him. If he said no, then he wouldn't have been true to his own nature. So he says something right in the middle. Now, why so ambiguous? Well, basically, I'm convinced that one reason is it's just not a fair question. 
Let's go back to the time of year we're in. It's like saying, have you quit cheating on your income taxes? How do you answer that? If I ask you, have you quit cheating on your income taxes? If you say yes, then the implication is you were cheating and you have stopped. If you... If I say, if you quit cheating on your income taxes, and you say, no, then it implies you're still cheating on your income taxes. And that's basically the, the situation that he is in here, and so he gives just the right answer. So that there's no way any man could ever say, you see, he was guilty of what they said he was guilty of. Because he wasn't. Now John expands on what Jesus says. Over in John 18, that's the only gospel where we see it expanded. Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews, but now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. You're right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Now here's the irony. The religious leaders were scared of him, convinced of his great power. So they're they're afraid of him because of this. The civil leaders were absolutely convinced He had no power. In Luke 23, again, the other parallel passage, verse 13, it says, Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and he said to them, you brought me this man as one who was uh, inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither is Herod, for he sent him back to us, as you can see, He's done nothing to deserve death. That was Pilate's conclusion. They were absolutely convinced that he had no power. If they thought he had power, they would have executed him. They would have trumped up charges. They would have figured out a way to execute him. They thought he had no power. Herod thought he was a a joke. The soldiers mocked him, ridiculed him. They wouldn't have done that had they thought he had any power over them. And you know what? The way they define power, he didn't have power. The way they defined power. Because their definition of power had to do with self-promotion, with controlling others, with using whatever means were at your fingertips in order to get what you want, that is not the power that Jesus had. Now let's look at what power that Jesus had, what it looked like. Because Jesus' real power was not the kind that most expected. In fact, look what happened. Verse 13 and 14. Crucify him, they shouted. 
Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. They shouted all the louder, crucify him. You see, it wasn't just the civil or religious authorities that were looking for a different kind of power. Listen to two of his followers uh, sometime later in Luke 24. This is the two after he was crucified. They said this, we had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. These were his disciples. What they were saying is that they had hoped that he would be the one to get them out from underneath this this oppressive Roman occupation. That's the kind of power they were looking for. They had sat under his teaching, followed him, actually been witness to his power, but they didn't recognize it because they were looking for an earthly power the kind that is recognized on the surveys that I mentioned earlier. Jesus had shown his power, certainly in his miracles of nature, miracles of healing and raising Lazarus from the dead. But do you know when his greatest power was shown? Right here. in this entire account. In this passage, there are three characters that Jesus interacts with. The religious leaders, the civil leaders, and a third entity. And we're going to get back to that one in a moment. But look at Jesus' real power. Over in John 19, Jesus stood before Pilate who said, Don't you realize that I have power, this is Pilate speaking to Jesus, don't you realize that I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus' response, you could have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. You see what he's saying? Pilate is saying, don't you know I've got power? over you of life and death? Jesus says, oh, you poor little guy. (laughs) You really don't get it, do you? You don't have any power except what God has given to you. You see, this is where Jesus' real ultimate power is. The rulers didn't get it. They said he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The truth is he saved others because he did not save himself. That's where his power was. His ultimate show of power was to voluntarily make himself weak when he was really strong. No wonder the world didn't recognize it. Our world wouldn't either. When he stood before Pilate, he could have just spoken. All the angels in heaven would have come to his rescue, could have killed Pilate and Herod and the religious leaders, and it would have accomplished nothing. But instead, God had a bigger plan. 
Let's get to the third entity. And that is Barabbas. You know what his full name was? Jesus Barabbas. It's not an uncommon name at that time. Barabbas was in jail for actually doing what Jesus was accused of, wasn't he? We're undercutting the government. That's what they were saying Jesus was doing. That's why Barabbas was in jail. He was there awaiting execution. The bottom line is this. Barabbas is us. We are Barabbas. Now, here's why. Jesus was acting the way a guilty person would act. He wouldn't defend himself. Now, a guilty person couldn't defend himself. Jesus chose not to. He did not defend himself just as if he was guilty. And in doing that, he was true to his nature and he was being true to us because it put him in the position of being guilty. Jesus literally died in the place of Barabbas. Now think about Barabbas. He knew he was guilty. He is waiting there in his jail cell for his execution. They come and they get him and they say, Jesus Barabbas, you're free. He thought they were coming to take him out and execute him. You are free. And so he either asks them or maybe he darts out into the the freedom and smells the fresh air of freedom. And he says, wait a minute, why am I free? And someone says, Jesus, this other Jesus, died in your place. Even though you were guilty, the fresh air of freedom should have belonged to Jesus Christ. Jesus Barabbas experienced it. That's why we are Barabbas. In going to the cross, Jesus dies in our place. My sins go to him. Your sins, if you trust in him, go to him. His righteousness comes to us. That's the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. And here we have a picture of it. That's the ultimate power shown by Jesus. And that's why the religious people feared it. The civil leaders couldn't see it because it was so different 
than what our world sees as power. So the only question is, what's your response to it? One of two responses. You're concerned about his power. You're not ready for that. You're uncomfortable with it being inserted into your life. Or you are comforted by his power. Come to Jesus. Be comforted by the power of Christ. Let's bow together. Lord, will you give us the willingness to do just that? To come to you. To be comforted by your power. Will you melt away any concerns we have and to know that the comfort far outweighs those? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.